Hi, the title of this study is The Virgin Shall Conceive, a study of Isaiah 7, verse 14. As I begin, I would like to give credit to Michael Rydelnik and his book, The Messianic Hope, because from this book, I've learned the position that I am about to present. Let's begin with the uh, eight thought questions for you to think about. See if you know the answers to these questions either now or hopefully by the time we finish with this study. Number one, what four things cause Isaiah 7 verse 14 to be a difficult passage to interpret? Number two, what kind of king was Ahaz? Was he good or bad? Number three, why did Syria and Israel want to attack Judah and King Ahaz? Number four, if Ahaz and the royal family are killed, what happens to the promises of God that he made to King David? Number five, why wouldn't Ahaz ask for a sign from God like he was instructed to do? Number six, what are short-term prophecies and long-term prophecies? And how are they related to one another? Number seven, what kind of shift occurs between the text in Isaiah 7 verse 15 and Isaiah 7 verse 16? And finally, number eight, are curds and honey the foods of royalty or the foods of oppression? Okay, so think about those questions and look for the answers as we study. Let's begin by reading the text that we're going to study. In Isaiah chapter 7, verses 14 through 16, the scripture says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Curds and honey he shall eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that you dread will be forsaken by both her kings. Now Matthew quotes verse 14 in his gospel, and he applies it to the birth of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18, the scripture says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now, it turns out that the prophecy of Isaiah 7, verse 14, about the virgin bringing forth a child is more controversial than you might think. Michael Rydelnik wrote, quote, In my experience, Isaiah 7, 14 is the most controversial of Messianic prophecies, end quote. Now, why is it so controversial? Well, there are at least four difficulties involved with this prophecy. 
Difficulty number one, the King Ahaz problem. And what I mean by this is that the prophecy of a virgin bearing a child was given to King Ahaz, the king of Judah, in the year 734 B.C. The prophecy says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. According to Matthew 1 verse 23, the prophecy came true 730 years after King Ahaz lived. Now, how could this be a sign to King Ahaz if he never lived to see the sign? And so this makes the passage controversial. Okay, problem number two, the age of accountability problem. Isaiah 7 verse 16 says, For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that you dread will be forsaken by both her kings. Two kingdoms were threatening the nation of Judah, the kingdom of Syria and the kingdom of Israel. The prophecy of Isaiah 7.14 appears to be saying, the threat coming from these two kings will be over before the son of the virgin is old enough to know right from wrong. Now the threat coming from Syria and Israel ended within two years after Isaiah spoke his prophecy. So question, how can Isaiah 7 verse 14 refer to Jesus who would not be born for 730 years in the future? And so this makes the passage difficult and controversial. Problem number three, the Isaiah's wife has a baby problem. In the very next chapter, Isaiah chapter 8, After Isaiah prophesied about a virgin giving birth, here's what we read in Isaiah 8, verse 3. Isaiah says, Then I went to the prophetess, and she conceived and bore a son. Then the Lord said to me, Call his name Maher Shalal Hashbaz. For before the child shall have knowledge to cry, My father and my mother, the riches of Damascus, and the spoil of Samaria will be taken away before the king of Assyria. So here's the kingdom of Syria being predicted to fall to the Assyrians before Isaiah's son is old enough to say the words, Mama and Daddy. This this looks like the child that was born to Isaiah's wife fulfills the prophecy of chapter 7, verse 14. And furthermore, some people think that this baby born to Isaiah's wife is called Emmanuel in Isaiah chapter 8, verse 8. There, the Bible says, He will pass through Judah. He will overflow and pass over. He will reach up to the neck, and the stretching out of his wings will fill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. Now, the problem is, Isaiah's wife was not a virgin, like chapter 7, verse 14 says. And the baby was not the Messiah, like Isaiah 7, verse 14 implies. And so Isaiah's wife having this baby is a problem. Problem number four. I call this the Scrabble problem. Scrabble is a word game, and I hate the game of Scrabble. To my way of thinking, you know, if you have to work, uh, at a game, then it's not fun. 
And Scrabble requires working, thinking. And so, to me, it's not fun. And furthermore, if you play a game that requires thinking and you lose the game, well, that means you're stupid. But if you play a game that involves chance and you lose that, well, you were just unlucky. Now, it's not a shame to be unlucky, but it is a shame to be stupid. And so that's why I don't like chess and checkers and Scrabble. But I digress. Scrabble is a word game where people form words with letters that they have on little wooden squares. Sometimes words are formed by players which everyone thinks is a made-up word. It's not a real word, and somebody tries to spell a fake word. And so now the race is on. Go get a dictionary, and you got to look up this word that nobody recognizes, and you've got to prove that the word either does or does not exist. Now, the Scrabble problem in Isaiah 7, verse 14, is when people take the word virgin in the Hebrew language, and they look it up in a Hebrew dictionary, a lexicon, some people say that it doesn't mean virgin at all, and that it's mistranslated. They say that it really should be translated young woman. The Revised Standard Version is one of the first English translations in 1946 to translate the word as young woman. The Revised Standard Version says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a young woman shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah 7 verse 14. And so the definition of the word virgin is a problem. So there are four problems involved in trying to interpret Isaiah 7, verse 14. To address all of these problems, let's look at the context of Isaiah 7, verse 14. First, look at the players who were involved in this drama. There are four kingdoms and kings who were involved in this story. The first king I call your attention to is a king named Tiglath-Pileser III. He was the king of Assyria, and he's about to invade Syria, Israel, and Judah in order to grow his Assyrian empire. Then there's the king Reason. He's the king of Syria. The second or the third king is named Pekah. He's the king of Israel. And then Ahaz, the king of Judah. So we've got four kings, Tiglath-Pileser III, king of Assyria, Rezan, king of Syria, Pekah, king of Israel, and Ahaz, king of Judah. Those are the four players of this drama. Now, all of these are evil and wicked kings, every one of them. It's like many political elections where every candidate is bad. No one knows who to vote for because they're all awful. Well, that's what you have here. Four awful kings. Ahaz was one of the worst kings Judah ever had. In 2 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 1, the Bible says Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord as his father David had done. For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and made molded images for the Baals. He burned incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burned his children in the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. 
And he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills and under every green tree. So uh, King Ahaz is a wicked, wicked king. Now, King Reason and King Pekah, the king of Syria and the king of Israel, they make an alliance. And they want Ahaz to join their alliance. And together, all three of them will go and fight against Tiglath-Pileser III and his army. But Ahaz refuses to join in this alliance. Reason and Pekah are enraged because Ahaz won't join them to fight against the Assyrian king. And so they decide they're going to invade Judah, and they're going to force the issue. They're going to force Judah to join in with them and fight against the Assyrian king. In Second Chronicles 28, verse 5, the Bible says, Therefore the Lord his God delivered him into the hand of the king of Syria. They defeated him and carried away the great multitude of them as captives and brought them to Damascus. Then he was also delivered into the hand of the king of Israel, who defeated him with a great slaughter. For Pekah, the son of Remaliah, killed 120,000 in Judah in one day, all valiant men, because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. Here then is Reason and Pekah fighting against Ahaz, and it appears they're winning. It looks like Judah will fall to Syria and to Israel. Reason and Pekah plan, after they destroy Ahaz and his family, they're going to install their own king in place of Ahaz. And when they get the king of their choosing on the throne of Judah, then they can have an alliance of three kings and three nations fighting against Tiglath-Pileser III, king of Assyria. Now, all of this is a tremendous problem for Judah and for King Ahaz. You see, if Ahaz and his royal family are killed, and if a new king of reason and Pekah's choosing is enthroned over Judah, then the house of David will no longer exist because Ahaz is a descendant of King David and his family is King David's descendants. And so if his family is destroyed, the house of David will no longer exist and the promise of the Messiah will be defeated because the Messiah was supposed to come through the family of David. God had promised that the Messiah would come through David's family in Psalm 89, verse 3. I have made a covenant, God said, with my chosen. I have sworn to my servant David, your seed I will establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. Well, Ahaz has really gotten himself and the royal family and the hope of the world in a real jam by how he's been leading the nation and how he's been acting. Now, let's reread the entire text and see the story that unfolds in Isaiah 7, verse 1 through 6. Isaiah 7, verse 1. Now, it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Reason, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to make war against it, but could not prevail against it. 
And it was told the house of David, saying, Syria's forces are employed in Ephraim. So his heart and the heart of his people were moved as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out now to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jashub your son, at the end of the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field, and say to him, Take heed and be quiet. Do not fear or be faint-hearted, for these two stubs of smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of reason and Syria and the son of Remaliah. Because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Remaliah have plotted evil against you, saying, Let us go up against Judah and trouble it, and let us make a gap in its wall for ourselves, and set a king over them, the son of Tabel. Now, Isaiah confirms what the book of Second Chronicles has recorded. Reason, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the king of Israel, are threatening Ahaz and Judah. And they plan to kill Ahaz and the royal family, and they're going to put their own king, whom they have chosen, on the throne after they have destroyed Ahaz, the, a king who is the son of Tabel. Things look very dark for Ahaz and Judah. But Isaiah is sent with a message of encouragement. The threat of these kings will come to nothing. As Isaiah 7 verse 7 says, Thus says the Lord God, Their plan shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is reason. Within 65 years, Ephraim, that's Israel, will be broken so that it will not be a people. Oh, the Lord is so gracious. He invites Ahaz now to ask for a sign that this prediction will come true, that Israel, who is threatening Judah, will in 65 years be completely broken and not even be a nation anymore. And so God is giving Ahaz an opportunity. Isaiah 7, verse 10, Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. Ahaz is invited to ask for a stupendous miracle to confirm the prophecy will come true. But Ahaz has no faith in God. In verse 12, Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Now, why doesn't Ahaz ask for a sign? Well, the reason he doesn't ask for a sign is because he thinks the situation is so terrible and there's no way on earth things will get any better. There's no way, he thinks, that Syria and Israel will be broken and there's no way such a dramatic change of events could possibly occur. So Ahaz is not going to test the truthfulness of the Lord's prophecy because he is so confident and so sure that it will not happen. Let me illustrate this. Suppose someone says to me, George, why don't you write the President of the United States and invite him to come to Oklahoma and have supper with you and your wife? Why don't you do that? I would say, are you kidding? I'm uh, No, I am not even going to write such a letter as that because first of all, he won't even get the letter to begin with. And number two, even if he gets it, he's not going to come to my house for supper. I'm not going to write a letter like that. Well, 
In the same way, Ahaz was so certain that nothing could change the present situation, and he refused to believe in God, and he refused to ask for this sign that he's given an opportunity for. I, he's saying, I'm not even going to waste my time asking for a sign and looking for its fulfillment because I know it can't happen. Isaiah was a true unbeliever. Well, God becomes angry in verse 13. Then he said, Hear now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Here is God speaking to the entire house of David, the royal family. He's not speaking to Ahaz alone. He's speaking to the whole royal family. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The word you here is plural. Now, down in the deep south of the United States, this verse would sound something like this. The Lord himself will give y'all a sign. You all. You see, this prophecy is being given to the house of David, the royal family, not just to King Ahaz. Now, this answers the King Ahaz problem concerning the passage. You see, Ahaz will not live to see the fulfillment of this prophecy of a virgin having a son. But the royal family will survive, and the royal family will see the prophecy fulfilled. God will keep his word, the family will survive, and both the Messiah will be born to the royal family. Now, Isaiah 7 verse 14 is what we call a long-term prophecy. It will not be fulfilled for a very long time, many, many years into the future, 730, as a matter of fact. Now, when when real, true prophets made long-term prophecies like this, what they did is they also, at the same time, made short-term prophecies so that people could be assured that the long-term prophecy would surely be fulfilled. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 21, the Bible says, If you say in your heart, How shall we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not happen or come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. You see, Long-term prophecies and short-term prophecies work together. When a prophet gives a short-term prophecy, if that short-term prophecy comes to pass, people will know he's a true prophet. But if his short-term prophecy does not come to pass, he's a false prophet, according to Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 22. So, when... A short-term prophecy is given, and it comes to pass, you know that the prophet is a true prophet because his prophecy did come to pass, and now you can believe and trust that any long-term prophecy he gives will surely come to pass as well. Now question, does Isaiah do that here in this chapter? 
Does he make a short-term prophecy first in order to verify the long-term prophecy? Yes, he does. And we will notice this in just a moment. But let's go on a little bit more. Not only will David's son be a virgin-born son, but his diet will reveal something about him. Now, you can tell a lot about a person by what that person eats. If someone eats filet mignon, that's a rich person there, you know. If somebody eats caviar, that's a rich person. But if somebody eats a bologna sandwich or Vienna sausage, well, that's a poor person that eats food like that. Now, listen to Isaiah 7, verse 15, about this virgin-born son. Curds and honey he shall eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. Now, some mistake curds and honey to mean foods of royalty. And some think that curds and honey are equivalent to like filet mignon or to caviar. Oh, no. This is the food of oppression. Notice Isaiah 7, verse 17. The Lord will bring the king of Assyria upon you and your people and your father's house, days that have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah. Judah has more than Syria and Israel to worry about. They also have Assyria to worry about. Assyria is going to oppress Judah. In verse 20, In the same day the Lord will shave with a hired razor with those from beyond the river, with the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the legs, and will also remove the beard. In other words, the king of Assyria is coming into Judah and he's going to skin you alive. That's basically what that means. Now, after the land has been shaved, after they've been skinned alive, there won't be the planting of crops anymore. There will just be uncultivated pastures with a few cows who are grazing on it. And Isaiah 7 verse 21, it shall be in that day that a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep. And so it shall be from the abundance of the milk they give that he will eat curds. For curds and honey everyone will eat who is left in the land. You see, curds and honey here symbolize the foods of oppression when there are no crops being planted and the only food is provided by a few cows who are grazing in, in uncultivated pastures and some honey produced by wild bees. The point is, the virgin-born son of David will be born when Israel is being oppressed by a foreign nation. That's the long-term prophecy. A virgin's going to have a son, and this son is going to be born when there is oppression, and people are going to be eating the foods of oppression. That's the long-term prophecy. Now, to prove this long-term prophecy will indeed come true, Isaiah now gives a short-term prophecy. Now, there's a shift between verse 15 and verse 16, which you cannot see in the English, but the pronouns change from plural in the Hebrew to singular in the Hebrew. And so now uh, the Bible says in verse 
16, the land that you dread will be forsaken by both her kings. The you here is singular. Only King Ahaz is being addressed here. The New International Version recognizes this shift. It translates, but before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. So verse 16 introduces a shift to the story with the word, but Isaiah stops speaking to the royal family and he begins speaking to Ahaz alone. And a different child is now under consideration in verse 16 onward. Now, note the word child should not be capitalized in verse 16 like the New King James Version or the King James Version might do. Now, question, who is this new boy that is being discussed in verse 16? Well, the answer is, Shear Jashub, Isaiah's own son, which he brought with him to speak to King Ahaz. Look back again at Isaiah 7, verse 3. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go now to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jashub, your son. Now question, what was the purpose of Isaiah taking his son with him to go speak with the king? Well, the son is a very young boy. He's uh, probably just an infant, and he's going to be used to make a short-term prophecy. Isaiah took this little boy with him to go speak to King Ahaz, and he points to his little son, Shear Jashub, and he says, but before this child gets big enough to know what right from wrong, the two kings, Reason and Pekah, who are threatening you will be removed. You see, the fact that Isaiah is using his own son as a sign to King Ahaz is emphasized in the very next chapter. In Isaiah 8, verse 18, Isaiah writes, here am I and the children whom the Lord has given me. We are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells in Zion, Mount Zion. So Shear Jashub is being held in Isaiah's hand and Isaiah is given the prophecy before this child becomes old enough to say mama and daddy and no right from wrong. The land you dread shall be forsaken by both its kings. The virgin-born son is a long-term prophecy made to the house of David, the nation of Judah. But the little baby Shear Jashub is used as a sign to make a short-term prophecy to King Ahaz. And the nation of Judah can be certain that the long-term prophecy will come true. There will be a virgin who has a son. He will be the Messiah and he will be born at a time of oppression. And they can, the house of David can know that for sure because the short term prophecy will come true. The two kings that are threatening Ahaz will come to nothing within two years. 
Now, the fulfillment of the short-term prophecy was so important because it signified that Isaiah was a true prophet and the royal family could depend on the long-term prophecy that's being fulfilled. The likelihood that Syria and Israel would not overthrow the kingdom of Judah seems so unlikely that Ahaz would not even request a sign from God to show that it would truly occur. When the short-term prophecy actually did come to pass, it was impressive enough for the royal family to be assured that the long-term prophecy of the virgin-born son would occur. And so this answers two more of the problems involved with this Isaiah 7:14 passage. First of all, we answered the King Ahaz problem, and we noticed that the virgin-born son was not assigned to Ahaz, but it was assigned to the house of David, the, the royal family. Number two, the age of accountability problem is solved because the child under consideration in verse 16 is Isaiah's own baby son, Shear Jashub. And number three, the Isaiah's wife has a baby problem is solved because the child that she has in Isaiah chapter 8 is not the child that's being promised in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. The second son that Mrs. Isaiah bears, Meher Shalal Hashbaz, is going to be used for another short-term prophecy over there in Isaiah chapter 8. Well, this leaves only the Scrabble problem left to solve. Now, question, does the word virgin mean virgin in every sense of the word, or does it simply mean a young woman, like the Revised Standard Version translated? Well, the Hebrew word being translated in Isaiah 7, verse 14, is the word almay. Now, there are two Hebrew words that Isaiah could have used. The first Hebrew word he could have used is betale. This means a virgin of any age. The word almay means a virgin who has just reached puberty, a maiden in the truest, purest sense. Now, when the Septuagint was translated, the translators used the Greek word parthenos. This was the word that certainly means virgin in every sense. And furthermore, think of the word sign in Isaiah 7, verse 14, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, a sign is something unusual. As a matter of fact, Ahaz was invited to ask for a stupendous sign. Remember, in Isaiah 7, verse 10, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. In other words, make the sign as astounding and as stupendous as you wish. Now, let me ask you this question. Would a young woman having a son fulfill this picture of a sign either in the depth or in the height above? Of course not. Young women have babies every day. But a virgin having a baby, oh, that, in, that fulfills the definition of a sign in the depth or in the height above. And so think of, of all 
that this passage tells us about the Lord. He will be from the royal family of David, the the house of David. And so Matthew then gives the royal lineage in the very beginning of his gospel account, showing us that the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, came through the royal family of David. He will be a virgin-born son. He will truly be the son of God. He will not have an earthly father. He will be Emmanuel, which means God with us. His divine nature is being revealed by this name. He will be born when Judah is under the oppression of a foreign nation, having to eat curds and honey, the foods of oppression. And that's exactly what was happening in the days when Mary had the baby Jesus. The land was being oppressed by the Roman Empire. Truly, no one in Judah had an excuse for not recognizing Jesus, the promised Messiah, when he was born. Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah of the royal family of David, the virgin-born Son of God, He is worthy of your praise, and he is worthy of your obedience. God bless you as you think about these notes, and God bless you to understand his word better than before.